We read scripture because we know you don't always. <laughs> so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be reading through Mark chapter 12. Uh, there's a lot of great information. This is part of Jesus' march towards the, tr- the cross. This is the buildup to that moment. Uh, myself, I'm Pastor Ben LaGrange, and today I'm joined by Kathy Benson. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Ben. So who are you and why should people know? Who am I? Well, I am a 55-year-old full-time worker who loves Jesus and is in ministry to make a difference in the world. There you go. For the life and benefit of the world. I love that. <laughs> and and the, the key thing, the reason why you're talking to me today is because that one key port, you love Jesus. Yes. And, and it's very apparent anybody who knows you well. You know, I, I told someone the other day because I was really fired up. He came up close. He's like, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. Don't stand too close. I'm on fire. <laughs> and I, I think that happens with you as well, that people people may want to not get too close because you're on fire. <laughs> Hope you're not having a, a dry and withered up day because you're going up in flames if you're close to all me. All right, let's do it. That's all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the first section, which is um, Mark chapter 12, uh, 1 through 12. And he began to speak in parables. A man planted a vineyard. And he put a wall around it, dug a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. And then he rented a vineyard to some farmers uh, and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to his tenants to collect from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. But they seized him, and they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent another servant after them. And they struck this man in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and then they killed one, that one. And then he sent many others, some of them they beat, others that they killed. And he had one left to send, a son whom he loved, and he sent him last of all, saying, they will have to respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is their heir, come, let's kill them and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And that actually comes from, uh, just so you know, uh, that comes from the Psalms, I believe. Uh, Yeah, Psalm 118, 22 and 23. Mm -hmm. And they looked for a way to arrest him. And they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him alone and went away. What kind of jumps out at that for you, Kathy? Well, what jumps <clears throat> jumps out to me is that this vineyard owner uh, sent lots of people to try and um, collect some of the fruit, mm-hmm. and the people that were tending the vineyard uh, didn't like anybody that the owner had sent, so they killed them all. Yeah. And then the owner says, well, sure, surely they'll listen to my son. Right. Um, and even that didn't work. Yeah, it's, it's strange how, I mean, he, he very well points this right at the priests. Yeah. And, and I don't think we really have that much of an issue with it in these days often with, with the priests, with the pastors. But I think it also, it really does a particular thing, which it points it at the pews. Because we, we tend to be more legalistic in the pews than anywhere else. Yeah. And it, it's hard to say that, well, you know, you have to do this, this, and this. And anybody that's not doing that, we send them away, don't we? Yep. 
One of my favorite quotes is from Garrison Keillor. Do you know him? Yes. From Brewery Home Companion. You betcha. He, uh, I was reading one of his, or actually a book from uh, another person, but he had a quote in the book. And he's, he's telling a story. He said, God said to me one day, go tell my people. Go tell them the good news. Tell them the things that I need to know. I need a prophet to speak to the people. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. They throw sharp metal objects at the prophets. <laughs> <laughs> they treat them badly and they beat them up and they kick them. And I don't want that. <laughs> and and it's, it's a, an honest and a funny moment, I guess. But it's just that. How poorly were the prophets treated along the way? Mm-hmm. Yet they treat them worse and worse along the way. And it progressively builds up to murder. And they've killed prophets before. We've done that. As, and it's, it's not to say that, oh, the Jewish people up to that point have done it. No. Mm-hmm. We still do it. We don't like to hear truth. We don't. Oh, it's ugly, isn't it? <laughs> so there's, there's a, a lot of times we'll speak out against the people that are speaking the truth. The yeah. pastors and the, the prophets. And oh, sometimes the truth is ugly. We don't like the consequences. Mm-hmm. But yeah. man, there it is. It really is, and it's it's a hard thing to see, but they throw them out. And although I do see that with some pastors and some priests, I actually see that more more in the pews. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get legalistic in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure you've run into that before, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Coming from the Catholic faith, um, definitely have had that experience. It's worse from the pews than it is from the front, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've had... Um, I've had friends, even in my church, I, I had someone rejected and told they couldn't be in the church because of their hat. And, and I know what the rules say, and I know what the Bible says, but I'd prefer you to be here without a, with a hat than outside in the yeah. parking lot mad because you, someone didn't want you wearing the hat. Yeah. And it wasn't me. It wasn't the other pastors that were saying it. It was someone in the pew. Hmm. Uh, I just recently had someone give me a talking to because we didn't use palms on Palm Sunday. And those sometimes those traditions are more important than the truth. Yeah, sure. So it's hard for people to accept that, and they just kind of beat you and throw you away. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're under the bus right there, aren't you? Yep, yep. Well, they, they kind of looked to, to persecute Jesus at that because they understood it. And that's kind of a strange thing. Because with the parables, sometimes they're spoken so people don't get it. Sometimes they're spoken so people do get it. Yep. Yeah. And the ones that have the spiritual ears understand the truth inside of the parable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they knew that history, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to make a comment about um, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, or in some translations, it's the cornerstone. Yeah. And even though they rejected Jesus, he is the foundation, and that's where everything is set into a, um, a pattern to be straight and level. Um, and that's what he does in our lives. Without yeah. that capstone or with that cornerstone, the building doesn't stand straight. It doesn't. And it our doesn't. lives don't stand straight either. Right. And, <clears throat> and that's kind of the, the weird thing because that's the first brick. That's the first yep. brick that sets it right. Yep. And it is just that because we actually set the world wrong with sin. But Jesus didn't just tidy it all up and say, okay, perfect again. He made yeah. that first brick right and yep. said, hey, this is how you do the yep. next. Build on this. Next. Yep. Exactly. Very interesting. It, it is It is interesting how that happens. And he quotes back to, it's great when Jesus preaches, because that's exactly what's happening here. He's actually using scripture 
that they would have known mm-hmm. and had embedded into their hearts and minds. And, ooh, he points it right back at them. <laughs> and they didn't like that. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a picture I saw, and I, I don't know who the quote was from, but uh, a guy says, well, I looked at God, and I said, why is there so much evil in the world? Why would you allow that to happen? And God looked back at me and said, well, why would you? Uh... Oh. <laughs> it's just a, a terrifying moment to know that we could be in that same kind of situation, knowing that we are allowing things to happen and even promoting it to some extent. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, would you read verses 13 through 17? Sure. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And they were amazed at him. Yeah, well, this comes a little too close to tax day, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It was a Tuesday and this is Friday? Yes. Well, yeah, I said in my check. So when we when we look at this, it's still the same thing. Whose face is on a dollar bill? Washington. Yeah. Well, give to Washington what is Washington's. Yeah. Uh, I had one one leader that was uh, working with me for a while, and that person believed one hundred percent that everything in the Bible is political. That everything is, and of course, it all had to be conservative or all had to be. Re- you know, Republican or Democrat. It could only be one way or the other. And people that only see the... I mean, this is the closest we get to an actual political statement, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Sure. This is the closest thing. Well, government's got to do government. God lets them, builds them up and sets them down. Knocks them down right after that. So we we have this, yeah, you you have to have the government. We put that in place. And you, you wanted it, we gave it to you. Here it is, there's the structure. So, knowing that the tax money goes for good things mm-hmm. and some bad things, we, we just have to follow along. We're in submission and obedience to that. Correct. And it's hard to see that for when someone comes in it with their uh, conservative glasses or their liberal glasses, mm-hmm. can they see anything but the tint they're wearing? It's a strange thing, but yet this is actually the closest thing we see and it's not to go against the government, but to say, even if you don't like the government, mm-hmm. they're an occupying force. Mm-hmm. Pay them. It's all about submission. I mean, oh, God's, God sets a hierarchy for how we submit. So slaves to their masters, yeah. wives to their husbands, yeah. uh, Christ to the people, and then um, Christ submitted to God. So it's a logical progression. It is. And there's, there's truly something about suffering and staying in submission to people that we miss as Christians in the West. And I, I recently, I, I about fell down. I was, uh, I was listening to a sermon. I was put it on the radio, and I was getting cleaned up, shaving my face, getting ready for the day. And I probably, I probably would have cut my own head off with a razor blade on accident because I was laughing so hard. 
Someone was telling me about a Christian conference about suffering. I was like, okay, well, that's good. And then they told me where it was held. Any guesses? Probably a nice hotel. Cruise ship. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, that, that's the most ridiculous thing I heard all weekend. I was like, what is that? Right? A Christian conference on suffering as Christians. Well, you've got a 24-hour buffet. Look out the starboard mm. bow. There's Captain Schubing, right? Like, what is this? <laughs> this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Yet, we want to stand tall and we want to be powerful in, in the face of government. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the weirdest things that I've seen is we, we kind of get things out of order. Too often we act like children in the face of government and adults in the face of God. Hmm. And we even, we act like regular people are invisible even. Like they're an inconvenience. And if that isn't the most discombobulated, upset, backs, backwards, upside down, and reversed Ruby's Cube I've ever seen in my life, I don't know what is. <laughs> but we're to be in submission to God. Yeah, yeah. We should be able to stand up to the government, but realize that even if it's not our side that chose, we still live under that law. And as Christians, we need to set an example right. that, like you said earlier, God sets up kings and he deposes them, and mm-hmm. he's... In charge, and so what we do as sitting to our government is also an indication if we're going to submit to God or not. Yeah, absolutely. As a and, figure of authority. And if you can't submit to that government, well, you need to put your head down for a while and create a government that can. It, and we always try to do that. We, we try to make sure we, mm. well, some people go value voting is a terrible thing, but really everybody does. Would this guy choose like me? Would that girl choose like me? And that's who we try to put in office, right? Hmm. That's everybody. Left, right, and in between. We all do this, right? And that's kind of what we need to look at. So we are in submission to whoever's there. If you're conservative under a, a liberal government, guess what? You do. Mm-hmm. You still pay taxes. Mm-hmm. If you're a liberal under conservative yep. government, yep. you still pay taxes. Yep. That means you also receive the benefits. That's right. <laughs> but it, it's, it's that same thing. You know, being here on Western roads and not having to run through dirty streets and, and people actually have water and food. Uh, it's not always perfect, but man, it's so much better than the other places I've been. Yeah. It's better than Central America any day of the week. Um, would you go ahead and... Uh, actually, you know what? You read the last one. I'll read this one. All right. Religious leaders question Jesus about the resurrection. The Sadducees, who say there is no more resurrections, came to him with the teacher and teach it, the teacher, they said... Uh, Jesus wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, if there were seven brothers and one was married and died and without leaving to children, the second one married the widow and he also died, leaving no child. And in the same, the third, and in fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. And at the resurrections, whose wife will she be? Since that, I'm sorry, since, I cannot speak today, since the seven were married to her. And Jesus replied, you are not in error because you do not know the scriptures. I'm sorry, are you not in error because you know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses? 
in the account of the bush, how God said to them, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are badly mistaken. Hmm. It's kind of a weird thing in itself, isn't it? It is. Again, the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus. Because they don't believe in life after death anyway. That's right. So this one, to me, what stands out, Ben, is um, in heaven, marriage isn't going to be significant because we'll be in our perfected state. So it's not a matter of keeping track of who married what and whose kids had what. That won't be important at that point. It's more of a problem for us to figure out, is mom buried to her first husband or the one she married after the other guy died. Right. You know, it's more, it's more important to us here. It right. seems, but over, I, I think on the other side when we're with Jesus, it's, it's going to be harder to really wrap our heads around. What are yeah. we going to do with that? Yeah. Um, there was, uh, I think it was, uh, what is that guy? Um, uh, tater salad, you know, the, the comedian? No, I don't. Okay. I can't remember his name. His name is Ron White. Ron White, great comedian, part of the Redneck Comedy Tour or whatever. He, uh, his uncle was a Baptist preacher, and he says, you know, he starts talking about some supernatural stuff, what happens. He's like, what do you think happens after we die? He's like, I studied for like 40, 50 years, buddy. He says, all I know, y'all going to be real surprised. <laughs> and, and over and over again as a pastor, I, I constantly hear this weird thing. Number one, if you go to enough funerals, you would think nobody's going to hell. That's a weird thing. And that's clearly not what Jesus says. There are going to be some people. And that's not just like general people, someone commenting on this. No, that's what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. Oof, that's scary, Mm -hmm. right? But the other thing is, what's it going to be like? We don't have that clear of a picture. We got some ideas. We know it's going to be good. We have promises that are given to us. If you, if you had to really take all the pieces and put them together, it's not like I'm going to go see Aunt Clarabelle in heaven and I'm going to be so happy to be with Aunt Clarabelle on every Easter and Christmas from here on up. No. I think you would be so dumbfounded by being in front of God himself yeah. and Jesus that it might take you a century or two to say, oh, that's you, Clarabelle? Hey, did you see this thing over here? This is, that's what God looked like, right? He's not some French dude. <laughs> he, he actually looked like this, and it's it's going to be such a weird thing. And the things that we and the things that we um, are so concerned about here, Ben, they will be a non-issue in heaven. Oh, the yeah. things we worry about, the things we fret over, and the things that concern us, yeah. they're going to be a non-issue when we get right. to heaven. Like you know, some one of my friends said uh, the other day, if if you could just have everything you wanted, what's the point of life? And I get that attitude, but then I stopped and thought about it. Like, if you were, if all it was was Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden naming stuff, hanging out, eating fruit, what's to do? What are you going to do with your life? And it's almost like it's almost in that that same way. If you had as much money as Put them out there, right? The Koch brothers. Uh, you want to go to as much money as Joel Olstein if you mm-hmm. felt like that, right? If you had that kind of money, you can go where you want, do what you want, when you want. What would you do? Well, I don't even know. I, I think I, I would fear the boredom of the rich, to be honest. I would fear that. Yeah, I don't know if it's as much about doing as it is about being. Right. 
And we don't think about the being aspect in our culture today. It's more about doing. Right. And but being in the presence, that, that is just like yeah. basking that in. Like sometimes I, you know, my wife and I are chatty, but sometimes I just like sitting there and knowing she's over there. That's cool. That's good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, and, and it's more and more as my kids to get the teenagers, they don't talk so much. But they're just there. And I like that. It's just hanging out on the couch the other day with my son Elliot and I just wrapped an arm around him and just mm-hmm. just hanging out that's it and there's a sense of comfort and security yeah and love in that being and I think just that overwhelming comfort of being with God and just being in unity with God each other and the world around us would be so good I don't think we'll be sitting around lazing around playing on harps I think we got stuff to do but it ain't gonna be hard that's right. Right? I keep asking for a section of the Garden of Eden because I love to plant flowers. <laughs> I love to kill things that I, I put in the ground. It's just a thing. My wife puts them in the ground. I either eat the food or kill the plant. It's, it's inevitable. <laughs> Could you read the, the section between verses 28 and 34, please? Yes. The greatest commandment. Eating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Yeah, that's kind of a strange one, isn't it? One of the one of the things that I love is this is actually a prayer called the Shema. Yep, in Deuteronomy. Now, yep. The, the cool thing about it is that and actually in Deuteronomy it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands and buy them, bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There is actually um, a priest named Gamaliel that was around this time. Yep. And Gamaliel uh, actually had this famous thing, and I, I believe it, it's him, so if I'm wrong, correct me in the notes and I'm not going to fight it. <laughs> uh, but someone came to him and said, I will convert to your, your Judaism. I will convert to be an Israelite. If you can tell me the entire law while standing upon one foot. Now, the law to the Israelites is the first five books of the Bible. Right. That seems impossible, right? But he stood on one foot. He said, the Shema. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, you're, and he said, all the rest is commentary. Oh. And then he put his foot down. Oh. <laughs> and it was just simply that. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus, his commentary is simply, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Let's be fair. If you love me and hate my kids, 
you don't love me. Right. And he put it down in just that simple of a term to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's your neighbor? We already had that lesson yeah. with the whole, you know, uh, Good Samaritan. So we know that anybody is there. Who's my brother? Who's my sister? He says, well, that's everybody. Mm-hmm. That's everybody. So if you're going to love God, you have to love his children. And the hardest one sometimes is yourself. But then getting that to spread out to other people is, is difficult in itself, isn't it? Yes. I, I love that section. I really do. In fact, the cool thing, do you know the word Shema, what it means? No, I do not. It means listen. Oh. And in fact, it's more than just listen. It's not just hear something. Listen to me and go do it. Yeah. That's what it is. So some of the prayers that you see in the Old Testament actually are Shema, Shema. It's listen, listen, do this. You ever, I know you've yelled at your kids before. Come on now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you're like, I told you already. <laughs> you know when you're telling them something to do through clenched teeth? That's a moment. That is a Shema, Shema moment, right? I swear, if you don't clean this room, right? <laughs> and, and that's what it is. It's a, okay, pay attention. Yeah. Because I'm going to say this. Yeah. And you need to do something. This is instruction now. And, and that is the key to this whole thing that we're looking at right now, that greatest commandment piece. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read the, the next section, uh, starting with Matthew uh, 12.35. Mark 35. I said Mark. Or I said Matthew, didn't I? It's Mark. <laughs> While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, um, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I will put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. Then how can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us right here, does it? No. So when we kind of we, we kind of dig into that particular section. He quoted Psalm 110 is what he's getting into to show that David considered the Messiah to be his Lord, not just his son. So it's not just looking at, hey, there's the, the prince, but if the prince says it, then it's as good as the king saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If we're low and we're submission to the king, then we're also submission. See, this comes back to children again, doesn't it? Yeah. Over and again. There's these... Um, when I look at the sections of the Bible, not, not everybody knows this, but when you go back to the original manuscripts, they're all just written one word into the next, into the next, into the next, and there's no period, there's no punctuation, there's no paragraph, there's no chapters, there are no headings. There's not like verse 35. There's no verses. You really got to know your language to actually get there. So when I, I look at when the monks went through and they actually put these parentheses on things, right? Well, this will be chapter 12. <laughs> I look, why did they do it in this particular way? Hmm. And there's there's something that we need to look at through these pieces, right? Parable of wicked tenants is about inheritance in the sun. Paying taxes. Who are you in submission to? Right. Right? You're... You're God's child, but you're also the government's care, mm-hmm. right? You look at the next section uh, about the resurrection. Who do we belong to? Is it this husband or that husband? Is it God? Mm-hmm. When we look at the next section, greatest commandment, well, it's back to 
who are you under? Who is your caretaker? Who is your caretaker? And who is your caretaker? Again and again with the same questions when we get into Mark 12. So he's saying that not only is God my caretaker, well, God's son is also my caretaker. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's not just, we have a weird situation where, you've ever seen the difference between someone who's saved and is not under submission yet? We call that difference between salvation and sanctification, right? Yes. Everybody wants a Savior. Nobody wants a Lord. Because the Lord tells you what to do. <laughs> oh, isn't that ugly? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. And in and, and that, uh, if you're going to simplify it and, and minimize it, maybe even by saying this, but like, you look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's like, man, do I gotta? Do I gotta? Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I find myself there a lot. <laughs> do I gotta? <laughs> you ever find yourself in those moments of like, ugh. Really, God? You want me to do that? Yeah, awful, awful. Well, sometimes that's what it comes down to. and But when we are in submission to God, good things happen. Blessings follow obedience, right? He said, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. That means come alongside me and do the things you're supposed to do. Act in the right way. Mm-hmm. And all else is going to be simple. And... You know, as Christians, we're not trying to beat people down and use them as footstools, obviously. That's not what it's about. But it's about taking who would be an adversary, somebody that could destroy you, and making them no problem at all. That's the simplicity. No bother, more bother to you than the furniture in your living room. Hmm. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> um, could you read verses 38 through 40? And as he taught, Jesus said... Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Yeah. These are hard teachings know, for the easy. Pharisees that are listening. <laughs> right, right. This is not a softball chapter. It, it's not, uh, you know, hippie Jesus that just wants good things for you and mm-hmm. all his love and nothing mm-hmm. else. He's actually talking about his own people that should not every priest was was in the wrong. However, there are some people that like just being in that position. Yep. I was uh, I was driving through the Goodwill parking lot today. So I hope this person hears it just for funsies. But uh, they were driving this big monster truck of a vehicle. I don't know. It was like an F-350 or whatever. And they were driving through the part that had all the potholes. And I was trying to turn in. But, it, like, my car is, is it's a toy car. I drive a Matchbox car. It's not going to make it past those things. So as I was turning in front of this person, I was slowly navigating around. Mm-hmm. Not fast. Maybe five miles an hour. And... The lady's just shouting and screaming at her car, gesturing, flipping me off. <laughs> and my wife says, well, if she knew you were a pastor, I said, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> it wouldn't matter, right? But see, it, like, some people do take that, oh, I am this person. I'm hoity-toity, mm-hmm. as, a, as my friend likes to say, hoity-toity. But I'm, I'm never that, and I don't want to be that. If, if Jesus lowered himself to this world yep. from where he was at, yep. If he lowered himself into washing people's feet and serving people food, right? Oh, don't we treat the fast food workers terribly? Yeah. Ugh, treat them terribly. Uh, don't we treat the wait staff worse? Oh, 
because we're face to face with them. You, how dare you bring me something with mustard when I said no mustard? I've seen people just do awful things to those folks. Hmm. And it, it really kind of agitates me, but, you know, Jesus served people food. And we, we aren't going to treat the fast food workers like Jesus. And then if that wasn't enough, he died for us. He took, he took the whippings we deserved and the death that we deserved. If that wasn't low enough, he went into hell itself. He went to the grave, and on Saturday, he went and preached to those who were held captive. Hmm. We don't think about that. We like Good Friday, we like Easter Sunday, but nobody talks about Holy Saturday. Right, right. And that is how you get a high position, not by having a little more money or doing a little bit better than other people. Wearing better clothes, sitting in places of honor. It doesn't do it. Having a title. So if we are going to serve God, we have to serve people. That's it. Mm -hmm. Service to people. Because what am I going to give to God? You know? Can you imagine giving uh, a dinner to a homeless person and saying, you can catch me on the flip side. You can get me next month. No. There's no good in it if you can do something for someone that can do back for you. In that same way, we actually find our position with God where, like, how can I do anything for God? Does giving God my money actually fix it? No. Why do we give money to the church then? Oh, to feed people, to help people, and to care for them in the ways that they can't do for themselves. Mm. That is exactly it, because God did that for you first. Yeah. It's, it's a huge deal that we overlook. Could you read the last section, 41 through 43? Mm-hmm. So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling to his disciples, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Wow, what does that strike for you? That it's not the amount, but it's the heart with which it's given. So if we only give God our leftovers because we make a lot versus out of our substance, that's the core of what would be considered a sacrifice. That's what God looks at, not just the dollar amount. Yeah, and I think there's really something to that. You know, when I was when I was poor, I justified not giving my money, but I should have gave more. I really should have, and I thought would have thought more would come out of it in that way. But it's when we find ourselves in submission to this because we are supposed to be giving a tenth, a tenth of our money, mm-hmm. and people balk at that. No, the church just wants money. Well, coming from a poor church, that yeah, well. I've been very close to being paid in chickens a few times, right? When we look at that, the amount that we give is really just to take care of those other folks. And she realized that other people have less than me. Mm -hmm. It takes me back to the story of Elijah and the widow. Do you remember that? Yep. Yo, why don't you, let's hear the story. I like the way you tell it. So he goes to this widow and he says, make me something. And she's like, I don't have anything. I have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And so he says, do it. Yeah. She makes them something and they have more than enough. You know what she says actually the the last thing that she says? Look, I'm just going to make this one last cake and I'll die. 
me and my son, <laughs> we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. Yeah. What? And then you still give it to him? And I think a lot of people in America have this weird thing where they they think, okay, I can do this much and no more. And then when it comes down to that little, mm-hmm. I got to take care of just me. Yeah. It's and, that submission thing again. All these talk about submitting yeah. to God. Yeah. I, I remember um, one of the most humbling moments for me. Because I've been at I've been at the point where I was like so poor. I'm like, you know what? I ain't got nothing. What am I going to do? Delay it a week? Go ahead and take what you can. All right. I, I've been at the point where I'm like, oh, what else am I going to do? You're not going to. You can't take the pocket lint and the the bottle deposit from me, right? You can't sue me. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, take what you got. And I thought I understood this, but where I understood it is two years ago. Um, I was out traveling with my friend Obed. In, in the countryside and they they live a very tight financial life and he said well I've got to go home to help my wife and then I'll come back and get you and then you can have dinner at our house and I'm like that's cool I like I for all this time that I spent over there I spent time eating in people's churches and we'd eat on the floor with them they'd all gather around the fire mm-hmm. we'd hang out and you know eat with our fingers and just make a mess of things it was great but I didn't think for a second that he would invite me to his house. And he did. Well, when I got out there, uh, he said, he's like, I'm sorry I I was delayed in coming back to get you. I had to pluck our chicken. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then I get there and I sit down and I eat dinner. And he's like, is is it good? I said, yeah. He's like, I I apologize if it's not good or if it's terrible. But I said, no, no, it is very good. I like it. He's like, Yes, we had to kill our chicken. I'm like, oh, well, how many chickens do you have? One. That was it. And he made the choice between having eggs for his family a couple times here and there or feeding Mm -hmm. me a chicken one time. That's amazing. Yeah. It was humbling. The chicken tasted much better after that, by the way. <laughs> but it was, it was good in the first place, but it, w- it was a very humbling moment to actually see, okay, how little can you have and still give? And yet, as Christians, we think it's acceptable to come and to say, I love God by investing $20 a week. Ow. Ow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I am... Um... <clears throat> was very convicted many, many, many years ago about tithing. And I'd always prayed when I was convinced it was something that Steve and I were going to do, mm-hmm. that I was going to put, te- put God to the test to see if his word was true, about see if I won't open the floodgates. Yeah. And we paid God first every time we got paid. Mm-hmm. And there were some times when it was hard to do that because it was like this little widow. Yeah. It was my... It was my hundred dollars for groceries and it was going to go to God. And ever since then, and then I got a hundred dollar check in the mail the next day. So there was my grocery money. Mm -hmm. So I took that step of obedience and I have seen numerous times where God has blessed when I have been under submission to give him what's his, just like you give Caesar what's Caesar's, you give God what's God. And um, I choose to choose from a, position of abundance versus scarcity yeah. and reliance on him yeah absolutely. and I've never been hungry <laughs> yeah and you know what I think one of the things that um, 
that we learn from tithing is suffering a little bit. It's a minor financial suffering. But we can't pretend like just living well and being happy and, yeah. and going out to lunch with your friends after church is being a Christian. Jesus suffered, then I suffered. If he got low to do things, then I'm going to get low to do mm-hmm. things. If this is how we serve people, this is how I want to serve people. And that's when we experience the blessing of God, really. And it, it's not through the joyous times. And I, I saw someone post on social media about, oh, I'm about to receive this blessing of peace. Like, oh, you get the peace and the suffering. In fact, Paul said uh, in Philippians 4, everybody wants to quote the, you know, I can do all things. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. But before that, he said, I've learned to be satisfied with little yeah. or with much. Mm-hmm. And he writes this from the nastiest prison you could possibly consider. And it also talks about comparison. You know, yeah. we are so easy to compare what somebody has or doesn't have or what somebody gives or doesn't give. And that is not the point he's making in the scripture. Yeah. And see, that this is the thing, you know, with Christian literally means it was a derogatory term that came up with in Syria um, back in the first century. But it means tiny little Christ. And I like to see my children as my mini-me's. My, my son is a mini-me completely. And my daughter is a mini-me for my wife. And there's no surprise ever. In fact, I, I catch him doing things because I know that's what I would do in the situation. If I was 10 and I was had this and this at my disposal, that's what I would do. Are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> and it's never a surprise. But we call ourselves tiny little mini-me Christians, mini-me of Christ, And we don't always do these things. See, we look at how you should act as a child along the way. When we get to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go and preach and teach all the things that I've taught you, how to act as a child in my family is a huge, huge Mm -hmm. thing. That's a wonderful piece in itself. We just need to learn to be in those moments of submission and suffering. And through those, Although it makes no sense to the world, that's where we find joy and peace and comfort. Amen? Amen. All right. Would you like to pray us out? Sure. All right. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to read your word because your word is life. And I just ask God that those who hear this word would receive truth deep in the um, depths of their heart. Lord, I pray that that they would have spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear what you would have them hear. And so we just ask that um, as your promises that your word never returns void, but it accomplishes what you set it out to do. So I just pray, God, that the hearers of this word uh, would receive a blessing. We just thank you and love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everybody. That means make peace with God so you can be his grace in this world. Have a great week. Join us next week as we get into Mark chapter 13, and also make sure to listen to our companion podcast, The Other Way. Have a great week.